0: Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. We are in uh, the second week of a a short series that we are calling Reach One, Reach One, and um, we are so stirred by what we believe heaven is inviting us to as a church um, this year. And uh, man, at the end of the day, it's the idea that each one of us who calls Mission Point Community Church would commit to reaching one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the course of this year to offer his free forgiveness and his forever friendship. Um, We as a church exist to show and share the love of Jesus Christ, where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play. I don't know why you attend, why you engage Mission Point Community Church, but that is how we are being graded. Uh, there may be a variety of different things that interest you and you may enjoy our kids' ministry. You might enjoy our incredible um, worship ministry. You might appreciate the energy of the hospitality team. You may love the coffee or hot chocolate or the blend you make out there. But listen, at the end of the day, what heaven is evaluating us as a church on is how we are showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. That is why we exists to be the hands and feet of Jesus, relieving burdens and meeting brokenness, but also to be the voice of Jesus, offering hope to spiritually hopeless people in our world. When this church launched about um, 13 or so years ago, that was one of the prevailing burdens on our hearts. We heard the the crazy statistic that in a county of 70,000 people, 50,000 claimed no church affiliation. 50,000, that blew our minds. That's about three and a half times the population of Warsaw, of people who are saying, we don't have any particular connection to the church, and as far as we believed or as far as we knew, they didn't have any meaningful connection to the person of Jesus Christ, and that felt like an unacceptable reality, and we prayed that God would allow us to be a part of seeing that reality change. Over a decade later, real talk ask anyone in this community and they will tell you Mission Point Community Church is unbelievable at showing the love of Jesus Christ. Um, stepping into places where brokenness exists to meet hurt, relieving burdens in very practical ways, showing up the way Jesus would show up practically in the different spaces. I mean, that's why you hear us talk about and celebrate supermarket sweep. You hear us talk about clean water in the ground, foster care and adoption. You hear us talk about and step into those spaces and our reputation precedes us in that regard. But can we be honest? we are not necessarily known for sharing the love of Jesus Christ. We as a church would not say we are great at sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings transformation and brings hope forever and ever and ever. And can we just be honest? If we relieve every burden in this county and if we adopt every child and just plunder the foster care system, But the folks in our county do not know Jesus. When they die, their eternity is doomed. And so for us, we always want to be a church that figures out how to do both. And we know that we want to grow when it comes to what it looks like to share the message, the gospel of Jesus. Christ. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a passage that is written to help convince the church to share Jesus as we lay the foundation for what we're going to continue to build on throughout the course of this year. If you have a copy of the Bible, we are going to be in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. Um, we'll start at verse number 11, 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. Again, we'll pause, make observations, and make our way through this section of Scripture. Uh Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 11. Since then, this is Paul writing, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Um, in this uh, chapter of, of scripture, uh, Paul's been reminding the church of the sobering reality that we talked about last week, a very weighty reality that we cannot afford to avoid as a church. Everybody is going to die, and everybody is then going to stand before Jesus as their judge and give an account for their lives. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, here's what it says. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, everyone is going to die. And when they do, Jesus will ultimately make one of two eternal declarations. Jesus will make one of two eternal and irreversible declarations. Come to heaven or go to hell. Those are the two evaluations and declarations Jesus is going to make. We use that as a colloquialism, a phrase in our culture. Come and enjoy peace and joy in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Or go and suffer in fiery darkness outside of the presence of God forever and ever and ever. There is no in-between. There are no do-overs on the other side of the grave. And listen, if last week or you hearing me say this right now stirs, any degree of discomfort, more than that, if this stirs any degree of fear in you, Paul would say, good. That is the appropriate response to this reality. The picture of Jesus as judge, sword in hand, Fire in eyes, making irreversible eternal declarations about the lives of people is a terrifying thought. Someone with the power to determine your forever and ever and ever, that should give you chills. Which is exactly what Paul is saying. The thought of Judge Jesus. Declaring the words, depart from me, stirs a trembling in us, Paul says. And that trembling drives us to persuade people. Do not leave your eternity to chance. Do not leave your eternity to chance. Which means when Paul starts this passage of scripture, um, he is saying, listen, if you If you fear judge Jesus at all, you will try to persuade people in your world to settle the verdict ahead of time. You will be a persuader if there is any degree of fear in you about Jesus as judge. In other words, and here it is more to the point. If you don't try and persuade people to settle up with Jesus before the judgment, you don't fear Jesus enough. You don't fear Jesus like you should. I'm just saying, come on, how often are we, are we just talking about this in the church anymore? No, here's what we will say. Whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot use fear as a tactic to motivate people to share the gospel. Okay. Except fear is not a tactic. It is a biblical motivation. This is exactly what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus is savior. Yes, yes. But he is also the judge who seals eternal fates. Be very afraid. That's the appropriate response. If that person you go to school with does not have the guilt of their sins removed, there is no, how do you pretty up that reality? Jesus will send them to hell, and that ought to stir some fear in us. I mean, what's the most reasonable response when I look at someone and know one day they will stand before Jesus as judge? And listen to me, if that's not concerning to you about the people in your world, if that doesn't stir some degree of fear in you about Jesus, you've, I don't know, maybe you've heard too many sermons about grace and love, and you've forgotten the other side of who Jesus is, and you're not afraid of Jesus enough. If you are not persuading people, Paul would suggest you lack the appropriate fear of Jesus. And the response to that ought not to be defensiveness in us. Right? Because that's how we often, in church, we often come to listen, to argue and to see if we agree or we don't agree, or if we can correct or not correct. And that's fine, especially as we... Look at the scriptures, but this is not an invitation to necessarily be defensive, this is an invitation to confess it if it's true. And I have needed to confess this Jesus, I'm not afraid enough of you, and I'm not afraid enough for them. I live like it'll be fine, no, it won't. I live like, oh, they can take their chances. Why? Jesus is a nice guy. And I've had to confess, I don't think I have the appropriate fear of you, Jesus, as judge in that capacity. And I don't feel like I have fear for the people in my world in light of that reality. I confess that give me the appropriate perspective. Give me the appropriate fear. What? So that I can become a persuader. And for some of us, that's maybe where we need to start. Not to be defensive and not to say, but to just say, do I? And by the way, I would invite you to think about and to process these things. Do you believe Jesus is going to judge on that day? And if he is, what's the appropriate response? And do you have that response? Paul says, it drives us to persuade people. So all I'm saying is I'm realizing that as an individual, one of the reasons I don't live persuading people is because I'm just persuade them from what? But may this be the year. In fact, I cannot help but wonder if that's not why Paul says what he says next. Verse 11, look at the the full verse. He says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Wow. Uh, Another reason that we might not, share the hope of Jesus with people is not just because we're not afraid enough, but because we're not authentic enough. Paul is saying, people have been going around talking all this mess about us. Um, And then he says, but those of you who've lived with us enough, those of you who know us a little bit better... Anyone who has spent any amount of time with us will know um, as obviously as God knows that all the stuff they're saying is made up. It's not true. You all know who we really are. Ooh, that struck me. This is huge. And I'm just asking you, can you say that to the people in your world, particularly those who you see on a regular basis. Let me ask the question this way. If tomorrow you started to talk about Jesus to the people in your world, would they say, duh? Or would they say, huh? It's a simple question. Duh. Uh Uh-huh, that's what you came to church for. What would they say? Would they say, you're persuading me to trust Jesus? Duh. Knowing what I know about you, that's exactly what I would expect you to do. Duh, so obvious, so obvious. Makes so much sense coming from you? Duh. Or would they say, huh? Jesus? You? Well, that's a plot twist. I didn't see that coming from you. Paul says who we are is so obvious to God and to your consciences. And I'm curious to know if that's what somebody might say about you? Um, Duh. Uh Uh-huh. Is it plain to the people in your world that you're exactly the kind of person who they would expect to talk about Jesus? I think Paul would say, if you don't fear judge Jesus, it's not because you aren't afraid. It's because you're wrongly afraid. Or you're afraid. Not of Judge Jesus, but of Judge Coworker. The judgment of people. And so it makes us start to veil our Christianity so much that it's plain to no one. And they would say, huh? So down low. Because I'm living in light of your judgment, and I don't want you all to think that I'm one of those Bible basher type of people, and I don't want you to think that I'm connected to those people, and I don't want you to think this. And so I've lived so veiled in my Christianity, it's no longer obvious to anybody. And think about it. And so so many of us, I don't even know how I would start talking about Jesus. Where would I even begin? It would feel to the people around me like it came out of left field. Would the people in your family, your school, your work, your gym, be surprised if you started talking about Jesus? And if they would, is it possible that you are more afraid of them than you are of him? And if you are, we will not share the gospel this year. I'm telling you all right now. If I'm more concerned about the judgment of people, then Jesus, I'm not going to talk to anybody. Because I need you to make a declaration over my life of I am cool and you like me. And the response might be an attempt to defend ourselves, but no, I think the invitation is to confess that. And there are spaces in my life where I'm like, I think people may be a little surprised. And so Jesus, I am praying, may my awareness of you, Stir in me a deeper authenticity. May I live in a light of you more than I live in light of the people in my world. May this be the year where it is obvious to everybody who I am and what am I about and that I love and follow the person of Jesus Christ. And then, I don't know if you're ready for some theological whiplash, you, you're gonna get it anyway. Look down at verse 14. This is what Paul goes on to say. This is is in the Bible. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he, Jesus, died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Um, okay, so this should be the year we live out loud for you, Jesus. But um, what though, I mean, I'm reading the Bible in, in real time, and I don't know if you saw what Paul said. He said, What compels us now at the beginning of verse 14? Um At least in my Bible, this is what it says. You can check different versions, but I'm reading this. I'm like, is Paul on the sauce? Because, like, make up your mind, man. He just said fear motivates us to persuade people, and now he's saying, and the love of Christ compels us. I'm like, which one is it, Paul? Is it fear or is it love? And anyone who's been around Mission Point long enough knows the answer to that question. It's yes, It's both of those things. It is fear and love. This is so powerful. My fear of Jesus as judge and my faith in his love as savior for people, both of those things will persuade me. In other words, I am not lacking in motivation. Paul is giving us all of the motivation that we could possibly need. What Jesus will do on that day strikes a sense of fear. What Jesus did on that day shows his great love. And both fear and love will drive me to do the exact same thing. To persuade people to run to him as saviour. to make sure they know where they stand with him. Another reason Paul would suggest that we might not share Jesus with people is that we are just not assured enough. We're not assured enough. I don't believe Jesus' loved for them enough. I'm not afraid enough, I'm not authentic enough, and I'm not assured enough of his love for them. Paul says, when you're convinced of the depths of Jesus' love for the people in your world, you will be compelled to tell them about it. If you are not telling people about the love of Jesus for them, maybe it's because you're not assured enough. Uh, at some point last year, I, uh, I went into the um, kids wing um, with full permission from Miss Jen, of course, um, to, just to say thank you to so many of you superhero volunteers in, in that world. At one point, uh, one of your children, who I will not name, uh, saw me and uh, did not say anything to me but started to have a conversation about me in my presence with the rest of the class. And this is what this child said. That is Pastor Kondo. (laughs) Uh, He is friends with Dude Perfect. And then the conversation ensued. And I'm standing right here listening to this whole thing. Um happening. Uh, Now, I would not have used the word friends at that point, but it was then that I started to discover how much kids love that viral trick shot group um, called Dude Perfect. They are larger than life. I will work in the tennis world on occasion with the biggest names in the sport, and I will try and name drop at my house with my kids, and they are just so unimpressed. Like, you are not cool they heard that I had any interaction with Dude Perfect, my clout as a dad went up. My kids love those overgrown children, love them. <laughs> um, so the next time I saw Dude Perfect, any guesses what I told them? I had to pass it along to them. Like, I had no, <laughs> I had no idea how insanely the kids at my church and the kids in my house love you guys. They love you guys. Um, they really enjoyed that story and they really enjoyed hearing that. And it wasn't even difficult for me to tell them. Listen, the king of the universe came to earth and died on a cross for your sin in your place. That's how much he loves you. I promise if you believe that, you would pass it along. You would tell somebody that kind of love. Why wouldn't you tell somebody that? You have, I'm telling you. I, I mean, I, I, I thought he loved you, but and then I, he bled on a cross for your sin. That kind of love you've got to hear about. Why wouldn't you tell someone that unless you're not assured of it enough? To know somebody's that loved by anybody, you'd be like, My mom loves you, Tom Jones, right? I mean, you would say that. You would pass it along, and that's what Paul is saying. Christ's love, it comes, it drives us. Love for what? Love for people so much that he died for everybody on a cross. I'm just asking, why wouldn't you pass along to someone how loved they are, unless you are not convinced, as Paul said. When was the last time you were compelled to pass along to someone how much Jesus loves them? Literally, he loves you to death. And I love that Paul says, oh, and it applies to everyone. In case you're tempted to get theologically tricky, well, but does he love everybody? I mean, just read the words he uses. Um, I'll I'll read them again um, in case uh, you're wondering, right? Confident and convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him, meaning you can say this to Everybody that you interact with. And again, the response here is not to be defensive, but to confess. I don't know if I'm just not assured of your love because I don't pass it along very often. I don't know that I'm assured enough of just how much the cross screams Jesus' love. Spirit of God, come and convince me of how much Jesus loves me and how much Jesus loves the people in my world. May this be the year that we as a church become convinced just how much Jesus loves the people that we interact with. May this be the year, and we'll talk about this in a second, and this will also be the year where we'll be reminded about all the people that are out, and who don't belong. May this be the year that we as a church are so compelled. Jesus does for the people in the world and we cannot help but pass along. I'm sorry, I know we don't know each other. Great latte you made and the art is on point, but I just wanna tell you, Jesus loves you. Oh, you're one of those people. I don't know what that means, but I just had to pass that along. See ya do it. You had to know. You may not even fully understand it, but you had to hear it. May this be that year. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, here's what we believe will be increasingly true of us this year. Verse 16, he says, from now on, I love this, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Um, Man, may this be that year for us, that we will look at people first from an eternal perspective. That we will be done looking at people primarily through a worldly lens. I love what he says. We will regard no one from a worldly point of view. The question we will start to ask about the people in our world is what does heaven say about you? How does heaven look at you? Because that's the perspective with which I want to look at you. And the people in your world, Paul is saying, Jesus is going to judge them. Where do they stand with him? Every single person you run into is going to stand before Jesus. Where do they stand with him? Now I'm looking at people from an eternal perspective. They will spend forever in heaven or in hell. Now I'm looking at people from an eternal perspective. Where do they stand with Jesus? I wonder. Now I'm thinking about people from an eternal perspective. Perspective. Do they know how much Jesus loves them? I wonder, God, now I'm starting to look at people no longer from a worldly perspective, but from an eternal perspective. And listen, the moment we start to look at people from an eternal perspective, it will drive the kinds of things we want to say to them in light of eternity. Not in light of the worldly Limitations. What they do now with Jesus will determine what Jesus does then with them. That's an eternal perspective. This is so powerful. If we're going to reach the people around us with the gospel, we have to be done looking at people from a worldly perspective. How do you do with that? I struggle and I'm going to need the help of the church and I'm going to need the help of the Holy Spirit this because come on, when we look at people, we look at them primarily through the lens of their appearance. What they look like. We even rate each other. And then everything else is driven by how I think you look to me in your appearance. And Paul says, not anymore. Let's not do that. Come on, do you know how high a priority this is in our world? How cute someone is, how spicy, how hot, right? I have no idea if they can spell, I have no idea if they're nursing trauma, I don't know. I just know that I can see us together a lot. And in our culture, how I think about you often depends on how beautiful I think you are. And Paul says, that's a, that's a worldly perspective. Or it's people's practices. Are your life's choices even the kind that I agree with and, and believe make this country better? I know the messes and the mistakes that you've made. I, I heard what you did. And so I'm going to treat you in light of what you did. And I'm going to look at you through the lens of some of the things that you've done. That's a worldly perspective. How much money do you have? Because that's going to drive how I treat you. Because, man, I mean, you can maybe open doors for me with your financial ability. Always say they're rich. They're fine. Um. I mean, I don't have as much money. Would they even listen to me if I shared anything with them? And we are looking at each other from worldly perspectives. We're rating each other. We're ranking each other. And it's going to determine how I engage you. I've seen your posts. I know which side of the political aisle you fall on. And uh, I just cannot see how a decent human being can vote like that. And all of a sudden... My perspective of who you are politically is going to drive how I interact with you and how I view you. That's what Paul means by a worldly perspective or people's proclivities. Can you believe they're into that? So gross. And I completely lose sight of who Jesus is and how much he loves them and what he has done for them. Because I'm primarily looking at people through a worldly perspective perspective. And we may not realize the ways that I look at people through temporary lenses, through the lenses of their behavior and their finances and how they look determines how I interact with them. In fact, I'm making determinations like, are you safe to share the gospel with? Oh, you're rich. Do you even need the gospel? I don't even know. You don't seem like somebody who would appreciate hearing that you were loved. And so I'm making decisions based on that. And Paul starts this passage deliberately by saying, fear Jesus and be convinced of the love of Jesus and." Stop looking at people through those temporary lenses. Otherwise, you will never be driven to share hope and life with them. And may this be the year where we are just done evaluating each other and camping each other politically and creating distance from each other and saying you couldn't this and you don't that. And then we will hold out the glorious gospel of Jesus from the people in our world. Oh, you're a threat for promotion at work. So that's how I see you. I'm sorry. You're a threat. Oh, you're you're cuter than I am. And so now you're a threat. And that's how I think about you. And that's going to drive my interaction. Paul says, we no longer. No longer. And again, the response is, if, if we see this in ourselves, it's not defensiveness, but to confess. Lord, I look at people very superficially. Give me heaven's eyes. Give me heaven's eyes. Again, this will take the work of the Holy Spirit and it will take us reminding each other in the contexts of community. Yeah, he's a jerk, but that's not what's most important about him. What does heaven say about Sir Jerkitude over here? right? And all of a sudden our perspective rises. And it changes the way we interact. Yeah, but is it heaven or hell for this person? Well, but do you know their politics? Are they forgiven or guilty before God? I don't know. But they're a threat to me. Is Jesus their savior or just their judge? Mm -hmm. But you know how much money they have. And we want to pray that the Spirit of God would change our perspective. Um, and here's the bottom line perspective: Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come; the old has gone; the new is here. That's perspective. If they put their faith in Jesus as Savior, they are new and they're headed to heaven. If they don't, they are lost and judgment awaits. New creation or not. right? Eternal perspective looks at people and the primary concern is, are they new creation or are they headed for destruction? Where do they stand? That's what matters most about everybody in your world is where they stand with the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know the answer to that question for the people you see most regularly? Because listen to me, if you've rated somebody as a six, but you don't know where they stand, something is broken in us and the spirit needs to heal us and we need to start thinking of people in light of the bigger picture, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There it is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in the person of Jesus, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There it is. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Christ's representatives, Christ's mouthpieces, as though God were making his plea, his appeal through us. And so we appeal to you, we beg you, we implore you, On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And may this be the year where the church opens its mouth and speaks God's appeal on Christ's behalf, inviting people, be reconciled to God. I don't know if you heard, but Jesus loves you so much. And God right now is in the business of debt cancellation, no strings attached. God right now is in the business of taking whatever sin you've ever committed and throwing it out. Rephrase, taking all the sin you've ever committed it and throwing it on his son, Jesus Christ, who will gladly pay the debt for you so that you can stand before him as judge and hear him declare welcome into paradise forever and ever and ever. And God is saying, you, Mission Point Community Church, are my mouthpieces to the people in your world. Go tell them. Tell them about it. Somebody shared the gospel with you, you believed what Jesus did for you, and the moment you believed, you became a new creation. And in that moment, you became a mouthpiece, an ambassador, a representative of Jesus. The question isn't whether or not you're a rep of Jesus. The question is, are you a good one? Are you an active one? I love this the language is almost uncomfortable that God is making a plea with humanity? God is saying, please? What? That's love. I want none of you to perish apart from hope in my son. Go and make an appeal on my behalf to the people in your world. And this is the year We want each of us to say, I will at least make this appeal to one person. I don't want to see this person stand before Jesus as judge without a sense of where they are going. I don't want to see this person stand on that side. I want this person to know how much Jesus loves them. I want this person to know what Jesus has done for them. I want this person to know that God is totally offering you complete sin debt elimination, all you have to do is receive it. And for each of us to say, I am praying that God would give me the opportunity to do that with one person, not thinking of them from a worldly perspective at all. In fact, when you came in, you got one of these cards. Um, I'm gonna invite the team to come on out as we, as we close. And um, our hope is that you will actively, Pray for who the one person is. Um, And even now, as we are singing together, um, I'll give you a quick moment and I'll pray with us. The question is, who in my world, in, in the spaces that I regularly go, might heaven be wanting me to share Jesus with? this year. who Who is that person? Um, it may be somebody in your home, maybe somebody at the gym. Uh, it may be somebody that you work with. It may be a barista you see on a regular basis because you regularly barista. But the prayer for us is that all of us would Pray for who this one person is. And even this morning, for some of you, the spirit of God will tell you who it is and you know. And so I'd encourage you, even before you leave here, write the name and keep this somewhere where you can continue to pray and ask people to pray with you for this person, for the opportunities, for the open doors. But the question is, who is this person? And for some of you, you're not sure yet. Fine, take it with you and pray about it and continue to think about it. We are going to be processing this together over the course of the year in different, in different ways. But, but, but who is this? Who is this person for you? I want them to know Jesus loves them. I want them to know he is gladly willing to cancel their sin And then we'll be praying for an opportunity throughout the coming days, maybe even today, for you to share something of the gospel of Jesus with them. And I'm just saying, I cannot imagine if each of us just reached one person, what would start to happen in our county? See, for years and years and years, we've prayed for revival. We've asked God, please come and move. And I am convinced God continues to say, you all open your mouths. You are my representatives. Hold out the gospel. The fields are ripe and ready for harvest. I am raising up workers. And we at Mission Point say, send us. We want to be part of the answer for people's eternities. And so even now, Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, lay on our hearts who the one person is. I pray for all of us that we would just have a little more fear of Jesus as judge, be a little bit more convinced of his love for the people in our world. I pray that you'd remove from us this worldly perspective through which we view people through temporary lenses that are just not going to matter when Jesus returns. And I pray that you'd lay on each of our hearts somebody to share the message of the gospel with And we pray that you would send your revival and your awakening ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.